hamster with a blunt penknife and do it quicker. Hello and welcome to Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who episode commentary podcast. I'm David Gillespie Pratt and I'm sitting here with Joe Ford and we are talking about part two of the much underloved Underworld. You did that beautifully, you know. They just, you know, I, I didn't stumble through and I didn't trip up my words and I didn't say anything untoward. So that's always a good start. You even added an extra word as well to the intro. Did you notice? No. You said episode commentary podcast. I was like, oh, I, oh. Might, I might nick that for the future. Well, there we go. You know, I would like to come. And then there will be there will be somebody on Twitter going, I think you'll find it's a part, not an episode. Yeah. Uh, oh, is this parts or is this episode? This is parts. Oh, OK. Be, I, I never know. I never know. I, I, it's one of those things because I, back in the day, I, I ripped all the DVDs and digitized digitized them because this is pre-Britbox days and I did a lot of traveling. So it's like, I want them on my iPad and my iPhone. So I put them all into iTunes. And when it came to labeling them, I was, it wasn't just, you know, part one. It would be, it would be parts for when there were parts. It was episodes for when there were episodes. But it got to the point where if it was episode one with a number, I'd put the number, but if it was spelt out as the word one, I'd put one. Oh, and it was that you level are a detail of geek. Detail. Yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I don't need it. I know I don't need this. I know I don't need to do I mean it gets to the point when you're doing something like the space pirates, but you have to put the inverted commas on it because that's what it's got on screen. Oh, bless you, that's, David. That's a level of detail. <laughs> and that, that's the level of, you're in deep, aren't you? <laughs> I am in and I've been in deep since the early 90s. I I I I got lost in all this detail, but yeah, Underworld is, as I was saying in part one, Underworld is one where the detail just never sunk in. Yeah. And I think because when I first watched it, because this is when you prepare for these things, it's like, when did I first watch Underworld? And it's like, do I remember? God, I remember when I didn't watch it because we got cable television sort of 1997. And that was when UK Gold was showing Doctor Who on Sundays as the omnibus, but they were showing it weeknights and they were showing it an episode at a time. And when we got got UK Gold, they showed part four of Hand of Fear. So that I hadn't seen Hand of Fear. So it was like, I've seen part four. I haven't got a clue what's going on. And they showed all those uh, Tom Baker stories up until Sunmaker's episode four. Oh, why? And that's they just stopped. The, they just decided to not continue with the repeats. Yeah. Underworld's so bad. That Underworld's so, Underworld and Invasion of Time are so bad that we're not going to finish season 15. So it was, and then it was a huge gap because the the Sunday morning omnibuses were up to key to time season. Mm-hmm. So it was probably about another couple of years before it finally came back. And I think Underworld is probably one of the last Tom Baker stories I watched, and it might be actually one of the last classic series I saw as well. So it 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 came very late in the day, and I say. It, Try to remember there, there are characters in the second, third, and fourth episodes. Like, I can't remember any of them. There's someone called got... Miguel. He's the young one, isn't he? Who's in Blake Seven. Uh, apart from that, I couldn't tell you another character's name in this. No, there's the two seers um, in three and four who um, uh, <laughs> the robots. I'm sorry, the I'm just robots, thinking yeah, about the reveal yeah. of the robots, which is meant to be this big dramatic moment and is not. Um, yeah, but in the book, they're people. Yeah. 
Which I is think Terence probably had a quick look at it and decided, yeah, I'm changing now. I'm not having those phallic-shaped robots. Let's have them people. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think a sadistic person is more interesting than a sadistic robot. <laughs> yes. And I think if they, they could have just done with cutting a couple of characters and amalgamating them together, and you could have had some really half-decent guest villains. But instead, you've got some shouty guard captains and some weird robots, neither of which make much of an impression. Do you know, there's one thing I think this story lacks in abundance, and it isn't money, because the Graham Williams era often was hit with little money. It's humour. The one thing I love this era for is how witty it is at times, and the sort of the repartee, you know, that sort of rapier wit that goes back and forth between the characters. Think Stones of Blood, think City of Death, Sharda. Even the Armageddon factor, the last time I did that, yeah, the lines in that, that was something out of a sitcom half the time, you know. Um, what was it Drax says at the end of that? Remember me to Gallifrey. Gallifrey. You, know, th- you know, they're having fun writing those characters. There's no humour in this at all, really. There's, is, a, there's a couple of jokes, but they ain't that a, funny. There's a couple of bits, but it is, it is a bit humourless. It's a bit dour. I think possibly because, they, you know, all the dialogue is very functional, probably because it's we haven't got time to do anything else on you know, these CSO sets. It's basically every line has to tell the story because we're not yeah. we're not you know we're not padding it out because these episodes under run episode one's but episode two sorry is about what twenty minutes, and I know they, that's even when it's been padded out with lots of a long footage and yeah yeah you know, we should do a count of how many times we see the bloody CCTV. Camera oh, the camera going, and it's the same fucking shot every it's, it's time. The same shot. So normally you, that's probably where they'd pad it out with a bit of character, a bit of humor. But they probably just didn't have the time to do it. Even like the darkest Doctor Who stories, like I don't know, Androzani and Genesis, they are peppered with jokes that provide some levity. And I think if you take the humor out of Doctor Who, it does get very stale. You, suddenly, sort of the the worthiness of it is very apparent it is very and, and i think it needs a bit of wit and it needs a bit of character because it that's what carries you through some of the, the weaker moments is oh the relationship between the doctor and layla there isn't much of that there's just a lot of them walking around some caves talking this they say there's some nice little bits there's a couple of nice bits in part two but too few and far between Whereas, you know, skip forward, or sorry, skip back one story, and it's all like, you know, well, what did you run? Well, I don't know. Why did you run? Perhaps everyone runs from the tax man. And they're working like gangbusters. There's so, the, the, I mean, Robert Holmes and Sunmakers, that is just full of yeah. great gags. Jokes and in jokes. And, you know, you can tell that somebody who they're all working really hard. And you can tell, and that's probably coming through on the script, and that's giving them something to work with. I think with this, this just not. If it's not on the page, it's nothing for them to do. Well, uh, shall we head into one of the very shortest episodes of Doctor Let's, Who? Shall we head into the underworld and see? <laughs> many men have said that to me, you know. Um, <laughs> to into the visual feast that is episode two. <laughs> um, who intro this? You did. Oh, I'll count us in then. You okay. can count us in. And I'll go straight into my reading from the Target novel, if you don't mind. Is that all right? In five, four, three, two, one. 
it's actually only two lines, but it says more in two lines than they ever managed to achieve on the screen. It's from chapter six, uh, which is entitled The Trogs. And Terence says, the crash spaceship was jammed into the heart of the planet like a dart hurled into an ant heap. That's a great visual. That's a brilliant visual. And I think he captured it brilliantly there in prose, but we never see it on the screen at all. It's that would have been way beyond, even if they had the bun the, the the budget that they wanted. But it does sell, and I think when Terence is writing about you know establishing the society on, they never name the planet, do they? It's just no, yeah, P seven E. Um, he he just sets that up and much more clearly. And now, we've got, how do we pad out an episode? Let's have a really long reprise. The reprises in this are more, I think, not quite hitting Megalos standards for really long reprises, because I think that's got ridiculously long ones. You know, they were so desperate for footage in this episode to make it the length it needed to be. They take a scene shot for episode four and insert it in this episode twice. And it's those guards walking along the corridor in unison at, at one point. You see it a couple of times here, and then you see it in part four, but it was only supposed to be in part four. I thought it was the other way around, but there you go. It just goes to show the production subtitles, always nice and informative. <laughs> but so when thinking about it, another reason why I'm talking about this, in terms of, you know, this is considered, you know, it's the weakest Tom Baker story. It is sometimes, you know, it's a bad Doctor Who story. But nobody sets out to no. make a bad bit of, of television. It, it, it's always put in mind something. So for a bit, some context, my husband works on the railway. And obviously the railway gets a kicking from everyone. And he said to me once, like, do people think that we set out to do a bad job? It's like nobody goes into the, you know, into their office thinking, how can I make people miserable today? How can we do a crap job? It's like everybody's trying their best to do the right thing. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you can't do the right thing because everything's going wrong. And I think that applies to film and television. When we watch some of these less than successful Doctor Who stories, when you, you talk about Time Flight, Twin Dilemma, Underworld, nobody behind the scenes is sitting there going, should we just phone it in? Should we just make something a bit rubbish? It's like no, they they are trying to do something. Yeah, doesn't always work. Well, but I think the, that, the good intention is there. I've never heard it said quite like that before, but that is a really great point. And usually, when you dig deep, like we have done, our sort of great underworld archaeology with the book and the subtitles and the documentaries, there are reasons as to why this isn't topping the DWM poll. And I think, you know, there are later eras, and I think they did come up in, in Twin Dilemma commentary in terms of complacency behind the scenes. And I know we talked about this off mic. This is not a story which is complacent. No. Oh, here we go. Oh, oh. <laughs> it's always a dip on cue. And that first shot of the was so successful. We get it twice. Uh, did you see they were like sort of degrading? They were all sort of vanishing like Star Trek. All sorts of vanishing. Some classic extra acting. I mean, extra yeah. acting is, is never great anyway. No, but in the Williams era, I mean, those extras in Destiny of the Daleks, there's a bit where they're all laughing their heads off when they're about to be killed. They're about to be killed. I'm going to keep a tra- I'm going to keep a score of how many times we see that that that, that camera shot. on a rail. I'll, I'll forget, but it's it like, is the same shot though every time. It's it the, is same the same angle. shot. 
one way or another. And this is, an, I mean, it may well be either from the mythology or something, but like, let's have, there's that shot you were talking about, mm. I think it's that one, isn't it? Let's have some guest characters who are wearing masks the whole time. Because that is one of the reasons why um, to guard overseers' names. Because guard number one and guard number two. They shall be known as. Because, uh, and, and now the space... And the, <laughs> the helmets on the space spacesuits. Um, yeah. Just, they look like a right pair of dicks, don't they? They do look like a pair of dicks. Although it has just occurred to me, they are a very similar shape. That's the seers? To the seers, mm. and I don't think I don't I don't know if that's intentional or not, but it is a very similar shape. I do like this idea though, because the the ship has crashed into the planet as it has, or you know, as we saw on the screen, it just went into some water or something, you know, a washing up bowl. Um, that because they're embedded into the heart of the planet now, that outside the main door is just a load of rock that they've got to blast through. As you said, the ideas, are, you know, mm. there's so many good ideas. They are now. Piercing into a, a solid core of a planet inside a planet that's forming. Um, there's that shot again. <laughs> no, <laughs> but like, like we're saying, like they didn't have enough material because they didn't have the technical expertise and they didn't have the time to do it. So they are doing whatever they can to make this episode the length. They are is. making this work. The, the only trouble is, is sort of when you come away from when it was made, it's a piece of work out there to be judged after that. And, you know, if you're somebody that's not a Doctor Who fan, then you are just going to see the same scene repeated three times without any of the context as to why it's in there. Exactly. And here's some ex it's really good examples of where it's not just them standing on a blue screen, walking up and down. They've tried to do cave mouths and climbing mm. over rocks. They really are trying... And going around corners into tunnels and things. Really trying to make this work. It's There's no complacency here at all. It's dire situation. There's no money left for sets. We either have no story or we have this. So it's like Sharder again, isn't it? It's, it's... And especially as Graham Williams' first year, the, the last thing I imagine he would want to do is come up short. And I think it was the same when... I think he was offered Invasion of Time to almost not do it because it was so up against it. But he was like, "We're going to, we're going to do this. We're going to make it against the odds." And uh, this is so experimental. It is, and I, I do admire it a lot for that. I always, whenever Doctor Who pioneers special effects and it doesn't quite work, I always have to have a bit of pride that they were pioneering the special effects anyway. Because a lot of what they're doing here is the norm now. Yeah. But, you know, shooting, doing an entire studio day against a blue cloth with acting against almost nothing. You know, I was I was at a convention a couple of weeks ago locally where they had the, you know, the wall that they use now, the, the massive screen um, and all the cameras. And I, I sort of went in there and just to annoy everybody, I chose the Jodie Whittaker's TARDIS and they were zooming around me with cameras to give it depth. But it's essentially the same techniques they're using here. They've just refined it to such a, a sort of perfect level that it looks gorgeous now. It looks cool. I mean, there are times... I think possibly because I've watched some. There's, there's that shot again. Um, I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep. trying to keep a score. Um, I think because I'm so used to seeing Doctor Who CSO shots that I still think when I'm watching something like Star Trek: Strange New Worlds, it's like 
I can still t- I can still tell this is it's an AR wall, but I guess because there was a. Well, like we're the... sort of we're sort of inbuilt now to just go with it, aren't we? You just got to go. You get on with it. I think we can suspend our disbelief because it it doesn't have to look perfect. It's like it's is it telling the story? I think this is probably one of those instances in Doctor Who where it comes close to not helping tell the story because yeah. at times it is hard to look at. It's time to. to Guess what's going on? I think some of the weakest CS there it is again. are in this episode <laughs> because there was that shot earlier on when um, uh, the the thing Idis's father, whose name I can't remember, um, is leading the you know trying to lead a revolution, and they're also sort of floating, and the guards just sort of glide in. At this, it's like that doesn't work. That, yeah, and I think some of the weaker shots are in. K9 comes gliding in a couple of times as well. Hey, K9 floating all over the place. <laughs> no. Well, we can fly in that Australian <laughs> series. Why can't he fly now? Now, th- now, there was a nice little cute moment, and whether or not that was scripted or not, where the Doctor and Leela being told to wait behind, and they literally wait Two a few seconds, seconds and he yeah. just nudge, they just nudge each other and like, yep, yeah, we're off. And that really works. One of the things I really love about the CSO shots is because they can keep them in small, is that there is a sense of scale in the in these yeah. caves in a, in a way that even in the mutants you didn't get. I think the problem you have is there's no close ups half the time. There's yeah. the odd ones here or there, but like this, we've got this shot here. Okay, there comes with a close up of what I'm talking about. But a lot of the time you've got the Doctor and Leela in long shot, and. That, that although it's giving that sense of scale, they're to the left of the screen. And so, but then this is the thing. So I was reading the complete history to kind of get some of that behind the scenes. And I think up until this, the sort of average for how much you can shoot on a CSO stage was like a minute in so much time. And they had to shoot almost two episodes worth in what, a day and a bit? A couple of days, yeah. Now, this, this tracking shot, I think that actually really works. works. And really have works. you noticed as well how they they've almost perfected the fringing as well? I know you can see it a little bit, but think back to the Green Death. Think back to Planet of the Spiders, where it was so obvious. This is why, because in getting ready for this, because you know I throw myself into this, I got the v- I got the VHS because it's like I know when the VHS has come out. That was before they started toning down CSO fringing for like they do in the DVDs, and I wanted to go. Well, I want to see it kind of as close to the broadcast version because I know they tidy things up. It's actually the fringing is not no. bad. It's it's there's very little of it. I think it's very, done very well. It's very clear though that that rock there, that terribly unconventional looking rock is the only thing in the set. You know, everyone goes around it. that one rock. <laughs> it's not helps that it keeps moving. I <laughs> don't go near the rock. Don't breathe near the rock. It's a very lightweight sort of rock you know it, it, it's a special sort of rock that we have in the underworld that's what it that's is right and it, this is what happens when a planet forms around the spaceship and where we have probably one of the major guest stars um norman tipton um which you know for blake seven fans appears in space form cygnus alpha um a very nondescript performance of a very nondescript character and in theory idas should be much more interesting he's kind of the young rebel who or the young person stirred up for rebellion by the doctor and leela think of how charming cordo was in the sunmakers yes there is and it might because there's just nothing on the script but that's i don't want to say 
it's not a great, you know, he's not the best actor in the world, but it's like there's he's not lifting it. He's it's a very timid. I don't right. think um, Will Chandler had a lot to do in the script of The Awakening, but I thought that was a phenomenal performance. He def- yes, I, I think sometimes recognizing, okay, there's not a lot on the page. What can I bring to it? Mm. And I think, but that's not that's not unique to 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 Paul Norman. I think a lot of the guest cast don't know what to bring, possibly because the it wasn't just a day on blue screen; it was the first day in the studio was in the cave sets so there's no chance to build that camaraderie or build your characters or kind of do anything it's really long i think it was a couple of very long very tense and again if you go watch that behind the scenes stuff there is a tension behind the scenes and you know it doesn't show in tom's performance necessarily as the doctor but when you see him as himself He's in a right mood. And did you see Lily with that knife then? Trying to oh, kill him. Because <laughs> like, what she'd already said, oh, he's running like a I'm sure she's like she identified he's being chased and everything. And then she just she goes with a knife. In the book, there's a trail of blood, isn't there? That that's in yeah. the spaceship that that leads them to him. Oh, they didn't actually show that on the TV. They did. Now there's a there's a bit, there was a shot there where the, the four minions, if remember the minions are in this story because not the minions of Minyos. The minions of Minyos who have basically just disappeared into the caves and just kind of float around. Ooh. Um, I think they've literally floated into the scene because there's some there's like a cave impression to kind of the right the, the left hand side of the screen, and they kind of just walk over it. <laughs> and then they've just walked over it again. And it's a real shame because I know they were doing all sorts of things because they they talk about it in the documentary where they were doing mats and they were trying to do, you know, layers of shots to try and give some sense of depth and perspective. Because again, when I heard about this was a story shot on CSO caves, I was just expecting them to walk in front of, you know, just idly walk in front of a blue screen with some caves on it. Going, no, they really have tried Mm. to give that sense of depth, give that sense of scale. They're lighting it as well. There's some scenes where they sort of light it as if they're in caves as well. And so they they really are. It's not perfect, obviously. It, but it, the, the effort is there. That is a that is generous. It is not. <laughs> no, I know. I'm a very so, generous man. Some of it is not good. Can I ask you about um, the continued uh, dragging down of Time Lord Law? Because the ideas behind this are that the Time Lords uh, got involved with the minions of Minyos, gave them great powers, didn't they, and technology. And then the minions of Minyos said, fuck off to the Time Lords. We don't need you anymore. We can regenerate now. We can travel through time and do all these fabulous things. Um, And then the Time Lords, what did they do? Did they exact terrible retribution on them? I think that might be in the book. I don't know if that's in the TV version, because they basically say they booted them out, they went to war, destroyed their own planet, and this is all that's left. I mean, those are big ideas, aren't big they? Idea. And ever since Deadly Assassin and into Invasion of Time, and I'd say going all the way into sort of Trial of a Time Lord, it's debunking the idea that the Time Lords are gods, but they're in fact very flawed. And this is kind of the first time where the idea that the Time Lords have been involved and everything, it's a bit of backstory that's never really been, actually, I don't think it's ever been done before, apart from obviously, except story set on Gallifrey, but the idea of, no, the Time Lords have have had an involvement here. They've got a history. 
um, that's all new, and that adds an extra layer to the story. Whether or not they make the most of it or not, I don't know. I just wonder if this hits in the wrong season because if this had been a Romana story, then that would have meant something. They could, they could have really could have, you know, the, the ship is there, the TARDIS is there, could we go? And it could be, you no, know, we've got a responsibility because we're Time Lords. Um, but I'd love, I'd like the Doctor sort of detail all of that. Actually, do you know what? It, it because he just says it in episode one, doesn't he? All this sort of backstory about the minions and the Time Lords. What would have been dramatically more satisfying is if that was the mystery of like what's happened to these people. How did they get here? And then the big twist at the end is the Time Lords did it also. They interfered. They gave them the technology. They went to war with them. They are why they are in this situation. There's no subtlety really in this in, in terms of it's fairly obvious that they're looking for the p7e they crash into it i think most of the time you can probably deduce okay this is the you know is this the the descent of that ship it's kind of it's it's built as a little bit of a revelation in part three but i think most people probably are a bit well, ahead of the, the trouble is that's the, the only satisfying answer what other it, answer could it possibly be who could they be you know and you know we've got the, we've got the scenes sometimes when when you watch this you're kind of grateful for when they go to scenes kind of extended in the studio because it's like okay my eyes can my eyes can bear this <laughs> yeah. but that whole there's a whole bit where you had the doctor and idas talking Neela Cook, all in one shot mm. uh, and you just get this sense that there's just no time to do close-ups to do any refinement kind of do anything it's basically shoot and move on shoot and move on and but I think here that's... we get interminable scenes of that grill spitting out uh, vapor or gas, and we go back to it, and we go back to it, and then there's a shot of it for about thirty seconds, just there pumping was... out gas, and that's all we're seeing. And I'm like, why am I watching, you know, like a technical video on how to expel gas? Well, there's probably somebody sitting in the gallery going, where are we up to? 19 minutes, 50 <laughs> no. seconds. Put another 10 seconds in. Put another 10 seconds in. Right, we've got it to eight minutes. Right, that'll do. Um, Look, here it is, I think. This is the sequence. Look, it goes on forever. <laughs> Just that thing bumping out gas. It, oh, here's it, Tom now, waving his scarf about. And that, I mean, it's probably probably because the smoke is kind of hiding the worst excesses of the CSO caves. That's not too bad that's probably no. i think that's the same shot again or part but, you know like tom was gassed in the end of part one of the sun makers like we've been here already this season this ain't <laughs> this ain't drama and you know she's she's dragging him around and then she, but she's not doing anything i do you know what this isn't my favorite leela costume either i prefer the brown costume there are a couple of moments where the <laughs> It does look like she's about to pop out of it. I know. <laughs> I know. it really, you and I aren't going to appreciate that sort of thing, are we? No, they, they, that's not really. It's not really for us, is it? Although um, I've got to say, I'm, can I ask you a question? I, I know I do this sort of thing on hamster sometimes, but there's a line in a minute, and I just need to ask you about it. Are you aware that whatever sucks can be blowed? Yes, I think. I thought you would know that. Yes, I, I think. I think there are certain things that you know. Gentlemen of our generation certainly can appreciate, um, but that your, line... your husband smiles a lot in those pictures. You know, I... <laughs> <laughs> he so looks like a very man. happy man. <laughs> he is a very happy man. Um, oh, but yeah, you have to get the idea: is that a line that was in the script, or is that somebody, namely Tom? There's there's Sorry. another shot of a grill. 
Hands and smoke. Um, and Barry then... always said, you know, don't show the same special effects shot more than once. Otherwise, people will start to figure out how you're doing it. Yeah. And then the thing, the problem again, no, because they had, they're shooting, they're getting a shot done, moving on, that you get this cliffhanger and you've got the top of the doctor's head. He's looking at something and he kind of just bows his head. Oh, no. shot of the grill again. He doesn't even fall over. It just sort of goes down as if he's going to sleep. Well, we can't, we can't have him fall over because we haven't got the floor. I do think a lot of the sort of um, the, the most stressful studio moments are in that episode too. I think things actually improve quite a bit from three onwards. There is one bit in part four um, where I think we probably have the best, one of my favourite behind the scene moments of Tom Baker Oh, great. Utter, utterly frustrated. I think we talked about it when we, before we started. Oh, you can yeah, say it when it hits. It's brilliant. When, when it comes, when it comes, um, it, it is just an example of Tom Baker just not having a good day. The advantage of watching studio tapes is it's got the time on it and it's always good. As you can tell, they're getting close to 10 o'clock <laughs> and you can just tell they just want to get the scene done. It's up there with um, Tom in the leisure hive behind the scenes going, that fucking dreary prop. prop. Or, or that bit with K-9, the, the outtake where he goes, yeah, you never fucking know the answer, do you? It's it's a, that level of frustration. And, and there's a bit, I think it was a bit from part two, where he does something going out of the airlock door and the director cleaned up in the gallery saying, because he, he had a duck, so he does something strange, and the director's clean. Can you just get Tom to walk through the door like a normal person? <laughs> and Tom was there going, I'm I'm from Gallifrey, I'm not from fucking Ealing. <laughs> I mean, he's got a point. But, and, the trouble and, is, you and, can't contain Tom. The second you try and contain Tom, he's going to get even worse. And there's a moment, and I think it's 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 either the, the production assistant, the floor manager, who's clearly relaying, and he's, he's, he's all, you can see him on, on camera. And they've had this bit of to do from Tom and he just turns to the camera and he kind of goes, uh, you see, it's almost like they've had a private chat of get him to walk through that door normally. He won't do it. I want you to go and tell him. I'm telling you he won't do it. And that's what happens. Like, yeah, he's not doing it. He's not playing ball. We love this behind the scenes drama, don't we? It's, uh, it's better, <laughs> better than the story sometimes. The thing is, though, with Tom, yeah, is his sort of extras that he adds, and let's do the extras in air quotes, um, they go one or two ways. It's either genius or fucking lunacy and absolutely cringeworthy, and it can go one of those two ways. I would rather have an actor that that is out of control for the genius moments, and I would take the cringe moments, because I think there's less of them. I'd rather that than an actor who's bored. Yeah, you're talking about Peter Davison? Sometimes you can just tell he is not engaging with it. He's bored. The writers are bored of him. He's bored of it. I think watching season 20 back, it's like, sometimes you're trying, but sometimes you really are. And then the trouble is then you get someone like Colin in, right? One who's willing to go for it because, you know, he loves a cliffhanger where he's shouting, Perry! But, and he's word perfect as well. So he doesn't deviate from the script. He's word perfect. He's willing to go for it. And then he gets those bloody scripts, you know, those terrible scripts. So for God's sakes, we can't win. I think, Tom, you, you're always getting an approximation of the script as well. Yeah. I think that's that's the thing. I think Troughton did the same thing, but 
you never got the sense when people talk about behind the scenes that he was over he was talking over people or making things difficult it was always kind of sympathetic to you know it was almost like you'll go around the houses but you'll get to your queue with tom you get the impression that you may you may not get to your queue you might not get to your line because you have no idea what he's going to do next i like the stories of the actors that stand up to tom there's a bit there's that story of the fellow who plays vince in horror fan rock and tom baker walks in and goes oh how can you say this fucking stupid script and he just put, tore the script off him and said because i can tom all right, and then Tom didn't didn't go at him again after that, and I think he's that actor that if you if you stand up to him, he'll back off. I think he's one of those people who pushes at what he can get away with. If he and sniffs if he, weakness, then he'll he come here. And and that was what they say about Nightmare of Eden is that oh, he yeah, smelled weakness in, in Alan Bromley. And I mean, when you listen to some of those stories, and particularly there, it's like he crossed the line. I think he definitely crossed the line there in terms of being borderline unprofessional. Um, it's like the man is there to do a job just because you don't respect him you don't like him it was like he is there to do a job let him do his job but i'm i'm not the star of a television show so what do i know oh you know a great deal as we've ably demonstrated (laughs) in the last hour well we should probably go off into episode three and see what the great computer of life has to offer. We need we need to go for a nice little float down the lift shaft. Oh yeah, can't wait. <laughs>